Amen. Thank you, Jim. I trust that you already have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel. We're in 16 and 17 today. Um, I'm a little hoarse uh, right now. I hope I'm not getting a cold. I think it's from just yelling at my kids' sporting events. Um, I, I'm loud. So, um, your eyes ever played tricks on you? Uh, it doesn't happen to me much, but uh, the one time that I'm, I, uh, I guess I'm aware of what, my, what I see through my eyes, especially, is on long drives at night. I, I've had several, several times where, where I've been driving for a couple hours, and I swear my eyes see the road go that way. And, and then I get close enough to realize, nope, the road is not going that way at all. And it's never, like I've never ran off the road. Everything's always been okay. I've, I've caught it at the right time. But it's a scary thing when, when your eyes don't see uh, what's really there. And uh, today in, in 16 and 17, a thread that runs through these chapters is, is that we see differently than God sees. There's a discrepancy between what man sees and what, what the Lord sees. And we'll be introduced to David who will be the king over Israel, uh, but he seems to see differently than, than everyone else in these chapters. Um, let me share with you our, our truth statement for our passage today. God has sent his anointed deliverer to destroy the enemy of his people that all may know that there is such a God. One more time, God has sent his anointed deliverer to destroy the enemy of his people that all may know that there is such a God. Well, chapter 16 starts off with, with the Lord telling Samuel, hey, it's, it's time for you to quit grieving Saul and, and this terrible king that he has been and, and that I have rejected him. He, he tells Samuel to uh, fill up his, his horn with oil because he's going to anoint a king among the sons of Jesse. And 16.1, uh, I want to show you this verse, and I've, I've cut out most of it because I just want you to get get this. The Lord says, for I have provided for myself a king among my sons. And if you're just joining us in Samuel, Israel asked for a king. They said, we want to be like all the other nations. We want a king that will go out and fight our battles for us, even though the Lord had been doing that. He delivered them from, from army after army, uh, armies that were greater than them, armies that on paper should have won, but the Lord continued to deliver them. God said, okay, you want a king, I, I will give you a king, but, but you will not be like all the other nations. And if you obey me, and if your king obeys me, then it will go well with you. But if you don't, if you disobey me, if your king disobeys me, then I'll give you over to your desires, and, and you'll suffer from living a godless life. Well, Saul, as you know, disobeyed God many times. And he rejected God's word, and finally, God rejected him. But God told Israel, you might remember back in chapter 12, that he would not abandon them. This is what he says in 1222. It won't be on the screen. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. We've called this series the God of Reversals. And last week, we, we ended um, in really a depressing place, realizing that the Lord had rejected Saul. But God was not rejecting his people. He was providing for himself 
a king, a king that would deliver his people. So Samuel arrives in Bethlehem. He meets Jesse, and the sons go by one by one. And Jesse knows that, that one of the sons of Je- or Samuel knows that one of the sons of Jesse will be the king. This is what happens in verse six. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, "Surely the Lord has anno- uh, the Lord's anointed is before him." But the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him." For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Samuel saw this oldest son, Eliab. Apparently he was tall, probably strong. And Samuel thought, this must be the king. And we all have preconceived ideas about any number of things, including what a leader looks like. And, and for Samuel, he had in mind what, what a leader looks like that God would choose as king. What a what a godly king would look like. Interestingly, Eliab kind of sounds like the description of Saul, right? Saul was taller than everyone else. It's like maybe Eliab's a knockoff of Saul. But God tells Samuel, no, this, this isn't the man. You're looking on the outward appearance. I see differently than you. God sees the heart. God tells Samuel, your top pick based on what you see, is not what I pick. I've rejected the one that you think looks the part. So each of the boys pass by. God says, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. And finally, Samuel says to Jesse, are there any more? (laughs) There must be another. And Jesse says, well, yeah, there is one more. I mean, he's, he's a little guy. He's out with the sheep right now. He says, send him. We'll wait. So they wait in verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, um, which means red face. I always forget what ruddy means. Like, I don't know if he's red face from running there or what, but red complexion. He had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to so Samuel anointed him, and you might remember that, that the, when we say Messiah, when we talk about Jesus, the Messiah, Messiah means anointed once. So you could say that, that Samuel messiahed David. He anointed him as king. He's not the king yet, but he's been anointed as the king. He will be the king. And I'm sure you noticed that it said the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and was on him from that day for the spirit would not be taken from David. And in the very next verse, we're told that the spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. Saul had rejected Yahweh. Yahweh rejected Saul as king and removed his spirit from him, but this would not be so with David. David was the king of God's choosing. This is the king that he's provided for himself, for his people, and God gave him his spirit and it would remain on him. We jump to chapter 17, as, as Jim read for us, a, a decent Goliath voice, I think. I, I imagine it was a little more booming than yours, but you did a good job. So each, each army is lined up. They're on opposing mountains. There's a valley in the middle, and, and they're lined up in their battle lines. And, and then the Philistine champion comes out, and he's nearly 10 feet tall. He's got a helmet of bronze on. He's got his armor, this coat of mail that weighs about 120 pounds. He's got bronze 
armor covering his legs. He's got a javelin between his shoulders. He's got a massive spear. The spearhead weighed 15 pounds. And can you imagine throwing a spear where the head weighs 15 pounds? And then he had a man that carried a giant shield in front of him. He had a man dedicated to carry this shield that no doubt covered much of Goliath. So Goliath was a sight to see. Now, I'm sure that he looked uh, nearly impenetrable. I'm sure even as a Philistine, you, you love to see your champion Goliath as long as that fury was aimed at the enemy. But I suspect that back at camp, many of the Philistines avoided being anywhere near Goliath, not wanting to get on his bad side. So Goliath comes out, he mocks Israel, he throws out a challenge to them. He says, hey, you send out your representative. And if, if he can kill me, then the Philistines will serve the Israelites. But, but if I can kill him, the Israelites will serve the Philistines. And even if this is your first time in church, I think we've all heard the story of David and Goliath, at least to some degree. But imagine you come to chapter 17 without ever having heard this story before. You've never read it before. This is all fresh to you. You come to 17, you hear about Goliath. We should think that Saul will be the one to come out and represent Israel, right? He is their king that was supposed to go and fight their battles. We've heard that he is He's their tallest guy. He's strong. He has won battles before. And yet we read this in 1711. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Israel had put their hope in a man and they were woefully disappointed. All of Israel is afraid, including their king, Saul. No one in their right mind stood a chance against this giant. Even without armor and the shield that he had, Saul was an imposing force. So for 40 days, Goliath comes out and he mocks Israel. He's defiant toward the God of Israel. He taunts them, daring someone to come and fight him. Israel had been delivered over and over again through their history, even at this point, by Yahweh. And the author makes it very clear that in every, every victory in the book of Sammy, it's because Yahweh has delivered them. It's never been because of their might, the, their military skill or, or strategy. It has always been that. Even Jonathan knew that a few chapters ago, that God didn't need an army to save. God could save with even just a few he didn't need someone who could match the size of Goliath. Well, God was sending his anointed one to deliver his people from what looked like an unbeatable enemy. And, and, and by human standards, certainly was unbeatable. So in enters David, and he's, he's probably too young to be in the army. His dad sends him basically to go check on his brothers. He sends him with some food. But you get the feeling that the dad just wants to hear, are my boys Okay, so David leaves the sheep. He brings the grain, the loaves of bread, brings, brings some cheese. He drops those off. He runs to greet his brothers. And as he does, as he gets there, Goliath, the champion, comes out again to mock Israel. And the Israelites have heard this day after day after day for 40 days. But now David heard. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him. 
and were much afraid. They're scared. No one had aspirations of fighting this giant. And notice, notice that it said when they saw him. Now, no doubt they'd heard him, but, but they saw him. They looked with, from the vantage point of, of humans. They saw him and they fled. But let's remember just back in chapter 16, verse 7, do not look on his appearance on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on his heart. Those words uh, were about something different and yet still applicable. The Lord sees differently than we do. Our vantage point is limited. God is not limited like we are. He sees everything. He knows everything. Maybe been around a kid that, that sees something that scares them to death, but, but as the adult, you can see, no, it's not what you think it is. My daughter, Maddie, she's five. She doesn't sleep super well. Um, we got a nightlight in her room. We got a lot of things in her room trying to help her sleep better. Um, but the nightlight, for a long time, it was casting a shadow just off this shelf, right? And it just made the shape of a triangle, right? Nothing scary to me about a triangle shape, but this terrified my daughter. So every night we go through this routine. She'd say, Daddy, what's that? I'm like, what? And eventually I knew. And so I'd shine a flashlight and go, see, it's just a shadow. And explain what a shadow is. It didn't matter. Eventually we just moved the nightlight. But I could see, I could see what my daughter could not see. She saw something and she was terrified. Thank God that his vision is not like ours, that he sees what we cannot see. He sees how much more powerful he is than every enemy, including sin and death. He knows everything. He knows how, how he's using the, the really difficult circumstances in your life right now. He knows how he's shaping you. He knows the future. He knows that he has already won the victory he knows the perfect timing that he has. I don't, I don't know if you know this saying, but I love it. Speaking of God, he may not come when you want him, but he's never late. God's timing is perfect. Well, they saw this giant with giant weapons. They saw a giant with, with years of battle-tested experience and seemingly no vulnerability. The Israelites saw the way people see. They didn't have the vantage point of God. What did, what did God see when he looked at this giant? Well, soon... We'll find out. Verse 25. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So this rumor is spreading that Saul has said this. We don't know for sure if he did. But, but they're saying, hey, you're going to get rich. You're going to get the king's daughter if you defeat the giant. Well, David hears the rumors. He starts asking about them. But we see that David isn't just curious about how he can get rich or, or, or how to get a wife. He's fired up. Everybody else is scared, but David is ticked off that this man would defy the living God. Is your heart stirred when people reject God? I think it should be. David's livid, which is appropriate in this situation. Goliath's mocking God. He's defying and threatening the people of God. David is angry. I'm not saying that we should always be angry when people reject God, but our hearts should be stirred. I, I met a person years ago that just hated God. I, I never met someone that hated God like this guy did. He would get visibly agitated if anything about God was, was brought up even remotely and 
And I, I was so saddened for him. And I was also, uh, I was scared for him. Like I would tremble thinking about him someday coming before the Lord if his heart never changed. Uh, if we're numb to people rejecting God, I think it's problematic. We should be burdened for people that do not know the Lord. We should be stirred in some way, at a minimum, stirred stirred to pray for them, that God would soften their heart, that there would be opportunities to share with them about Jesus, to share that Jesus, our champion, took on the great enemy, sin and death, and slayed it not by human power, but seemingly by weakness and laying down his life for us. Verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for this man who kills the, uh, this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's asking the right questions. Who is this guy? Who is this guy that's defying the armies of the living God? David knew this was about the Lord. It wasn't about Israel's soldiers. It was about this God-defier. And David could see this was about the living God of the Israelite army. The, the Goliath worshipped fake gods, right? We remember Dagon and what happened to Dagon when Dagon stood before the ark of the Lord and Dagon fell over and his head broke off and his hands broke off. Dagon was powerless. I love that David won't use Goliath's name here. Like, do you notice that? He won't even pay him that respect. He calls him a Philistine, then he doubles down and calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. He, he's not afraid. And we should ask ourselves, okay, so where does this confidence come from? Right? Is, this, is, this, is this just who David is? No, we're seeing the effects of David filled by the Spirit, which we were told in 16. He isn't afraid, not because he's a really brave guy. He isn't afraid because he sees that Goliath's might does not compare to the power of the living God. Well, then in steps David's brother, the oldest, you remember, Eliab, verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Eliab saw David's anointing as the future king. He knew, or at least he ought to have understood, that his little brother was the king of God's choosing. But what does he do? He verbally attacks David. He, he's ignoring what God has done. He's ignoring God's word. And he's, he's putting himself as the enemy of David, essentially almost aligning himself with Goliath. He's in opposition to God's anointed. David doesn't even pay attention to him. He just moves on. He's talking to other guys. Um, and then eventually word gets to King Saul about this David and the things that he's saying about Saul. And I'm sure the bravado, the way he spoke about Saul. So Saul summons David. David says this in verse 32. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. He says, don't be afraid and I will fight. Or in other words, you will be delivered. And, and this basic message, you could trace this through scripture. Maybe you think of um, Israel standing, standing before the Red Sea, the Egyptians in hot pursuit. And Moses says, don't be afraid. 
Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. He will deliver you. Verse 33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're a youth and he's been a man of war from his youth. Saul sees from this human vantage point, but David sees what God sees. He explains, no, you you don't understand how God's been with me. I've killed lions and bears as they have come and tried to take my sheep. And and you could, as you read this, might think that David's just talking about his own skills here. But in, in verse 37, he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. His confidence, David's confidence in fighting the bear and the lion was all because of the Lord. And isn't that just like God to use what was happening in the field with these sheep, to use those things that probably probably just seemed, that was just his everyday life, that he's defending sheep and God was shaping him, preparing him for what he would do. Now in this story, we are not David. If, if you're listening to this, thinking like, man, I need to be like David. No, we're like Israel, okay? We're sitting back and we're scared because we have no power against the enemy. We need someone to save us. This, though, is one way that, that I want to encourage you to realize you are like David here, that God is using everyday life to prepare you. It's easy for us, I think, to dream about someday I'm gonna do something big. I'm gonna do something for God's kingdom. One day when I have this job or, or when I have more time or when my kids are older or, or when, I have, when I can go on a missions trip or, or I don't know, when I'm married or whatever it is, we, we, we look forward to what will happen someday thinking that not much is happening now. And I think we miss what God may be doing. David could have missed what God was doing to prepare him. He could have been puffed up and just thought he was really great at killing lions and bears as a shepherd, but God revealed to him how the Lord delivered him. David saw that this battle wasn't between two men. This battle was between the Lord and the enemy of the Lord. Well, Saul was convinced. He said, go and be, and and the Lord be with you. I doubt that Saul meant much by that. He had, I, I doubt he had any clue Um, how true it was that the Lord was with David. Well, Saul, still seen from the human vantage point, he gives him his own armor. And and David tries to realize, no, this this is not how this battle is going to be won. We we remember that Israel was not going to be like the other nations. Their king would not be like the kings of other nations. This battle, like so many of the other battles that we've already seen in Israel's history, God would make sure that everyone knows that Israel would be victorious because of him so that no one would be mistaken who won the battle, that everyone would know it was won by the Lord. So David tries on the armor. He ditches it. Saul gives him a sword as well. David's like, no, I don't need the sword. He grabs his staff. He grabs his sling and five rocks. So he goes out there, and I'm sure Goliath was confused. Uh, He too had probably imagined who he was going to battle. And, and it wasn't a little pipsqueak of a boy. It, it, it certainly wasn't someone without armor, without a sword, without a spear. It wasn't someone with a staff and a sling. And he begins to mock David and curses David by his worthless gods. Goliath unknowingly reminds us as readers that the battle 
is not between these humans. This is between the Lord and his enemy. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. David's saying, are you serious? Like that's what you brought to this fight? You think a sword is gonna do in God's anointed? You might as well have brought a super soaker because he says this, he says, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David knew, David knew this was the Lord's battle, that this was about the glory of the Lord and that's what was David's motivation. David could see that God's glory was on the line here, right? And it wasn't just for Israel, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't even just for Israel and the Philistines. No, it said that, that the whole world would know that the nations would hear. So for God's people, David's words are a call to trust in the Lord Israel. God's people trust in the name of the Lord. For the nations, it's a call to stop defying the Lord to seek him and trust him. This battle was not going to be won because David brought the right weapon. He rejected the sword because God was the one who determined the victor in this battle. The victory would be the Lord's. And you know the story, he takes out the sling, nails him, kills him instantly. The author only gives us a few lines about the battle itself, but he gives us this in verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And then he says, there was no sword in the hand of David. This was not like any human battle. This was won only because of the Lord. This story isn't about us being brave, right? And facing hard things in life. This, this is about God's glory the glory of, of God revealed by the deliverer the Lord provided for his people. So how do we respond to God's deliverer? I read verse 45 a little bit ago, but, but I, I want to repeat this. He said, I come in the name of the Lord. That's repeated in Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This should ring a bell because it's in the New Testament too. In Matthew, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, with the crowds that went before him, the crowds that follow him, people shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is the one who's come in the name of the Lord. Like David, Jesus fought a greater enemy than Goliath. Jesus would take on sin and death, a battle that was not won with sword or even a sling. Jesus' victory over death would be won by giving up his life. Israel was represented by David. God's people are represented by Jesus. 
our champion as we stand powerless before sin and death. We can do nothing but pray that God would send a savior. We needed God's Messiah, his anointed one to come and fight our battle for us. And Jesus has won the victory. And the spoil of the victory he gives to his people. Jesus' victory over sin and death is our victory if we trust in him because he rose from the dead, giving life to all who would put their faith in Christ. So if Jesus is your savior, you've been freed from the power of sin and death because of his grace, because of his love for you. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to end with just a few questions here. Do we live like Jesus has been victorious, like the battle has already been won? When David defeated Goliath, Israel realized that the victory had been won, and they charged. Are you living like Jesus, your king, has won? Or do you live afraid and timid as if the outcome is still yet to be determined? Our king has won, and he's coming back for his people. We have great confidence in Jesus, our champion, our deliverer, our king. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you, and I'm so grateful that we have your word, that you've given your, your very word to us, and we have unbelievable access to it. God, it was a blessing just to hear Jim read all of chapter 17 and, and be reminded that, that you have sent your anointed one, that David pointed forward to Jesus who, who would be victorious, who has been victorious. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that trust in you, that follow you in everything that we do, Lord, that we would recognize that there is no enemy that you have not already defeated, Lord, and we are victorious because of you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.